So we're going to be, um, we have obviously started into the book of Joshua, very exciting. We finished Joshua chapter 1 last week, praise the Lord, it only took us six messages, fantastic. We're in chapter 2 today, we're going to get all the way through three verses. Hot diggity dog, we're going to get through this thing, we're going to kill it. But listen, so last week we talked about our message was called United We Stand. And what we saw was this was the response of the people back to Joshua. What we've seen in the book of Joshua so far was we saw first the commissioning of God, where God commissioned Joshua to take on this role. Then we saw God come along and encourage Joshua. Then after encouraging Joshua, then he challenges him. He says, hey, look, you need to take action. Well, then Joshua takes this responsibility on and he commands the people. And then the people responded last week. And in that response, we heard several things. First of all, he was preparing them, letting them know that, hey, guess what? We're getting ready to cross into the promised land. We're going to be going over the eastern border, the Jordan River. We're getting ready to go. And in three days, this is going to happen. So as they're gathering together, what we saw was the fact that the people were united. But there was, there was one little caveat in there. Because remember, there was the, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the, the half-tribe of Manasseh, who had kind of a special provision for them. But they all agreed that they were going to go in and they were going to face off against the inhabitants of Canaan. But what we saw was in their response, there was four different parts to their response. And in review today, quickly, we're going to cover those real just so we can sort of have an idea where we're coming from. First, we saw their commitment. Okay, we saw their commitment. They said, look, and their commitment was in three parts. They said, we will do whatever you tell us to do. We will go wherever you tell us to go, and we will listen to whatever you tell us. We will listen. Joshua 1, verses 16 and 17, it said this, And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do. And with us, wherever thou sendest, we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. We will listen. So first we saw their commitment. Then we saw their commendation of Joshua. They commended him. What they did is they prayed for God's blessing in his life, that God would work in him and through him. Joshua 1.17 says this, Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Then we saw third, that they're, they're, they had a condemnation that they put forth. Now this was for anyone that would not unify behind Joshua. They said, look man, he's our leader. We're following Joshua. This is our guy. And anybody that does not follow, you're going to face condemnation. Verse 18, for 118 said this, Whosoever he be that doth rebel against my commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Then the people gathered together. And the very part, last part of their response was encouragement. Encouragement. They come on and they go, Hey, Joshua, buddy, we're with you. We're with you, man. We're all unified. We're standing with you. And what is so cool is they use the exact same phrase that, their, that his mentor used, right? Moses came along and he said, hey, Joshua, you be strong and have a good courage. Then God comes along and he uses the exact same terminology. Hey, Joshua, be strong and have a good courage. And then the people gather together. Here they stand unified and they're going, look, Joshua, we're with you. And what do they say? Joshua, be strong and of a good courage. You can do this. We're with you, dude. We're all in. United we stand. So we looked at their commitment. We saw this unified body of people coming together saying, look, we're going to accomplish what God wants us to do. And then last week, last week what we did was we compared it to our commitment. Because God's called us as well, has He not? God's called us. We should be about the Father's business. And as God makes this commissioning of us, we can do His will or we can do our own. And see, what we find, this is the struggle that faces the church. This is the biggest struggle that faces the church right now in our age. It's not political. Though political issues are gathering. It's not societal. Yet societal issues, guess what? They're mounting against us. But they're not our biggest issue. They're not where our worry is. Our worry in the church today is apathy. Apathy. I don't care. Now, I know we hear that and we're like, oh, really? Ay, ay, ay. That sounds kind of harsh. But every week, what am I doing? I'm warning us. Hey, guys, remember why we're here. What's our purpose? What's our focus supposed to be? Remember, the world's going to try to distract us. We're supposed to get our heart on the, on the souls of men. We're supposed to reach out and touch this world and make a difference for God's glory. That's why we're here. Yet what happens is we get caught up in what we hear these things, and they come in one ear and we're like, you're right, Pastor. You are right. But then it rolls right out our ear the other side. And then we become apathetic as we walk out the door. And we look at our culture around us and we see what's going on. 
We recognize it's, we see the moral decay taking place in everything we watch and hear that surrounds us. And yet what happens is we tell ourselves, you know what, I mean, it's not that bad. I've learned to deal with it. I've learned to kind of accept it and make it okay. We look at the, the, the rebellion in our culture against God. The rebellion and the ignorance of people's biblical knowledge to understand even who God really is. And yet we're, we're okay with it because you know what? I, I've learned to kind of keep my faith to myself. I kind of live within. And we hear these things. And I know it sounds like I'm trying to be harsh on you guys, but I'm not. I'm talking to all of us. The church as a whole. The problem is we really act like we don't care. Now, we're not going to say that. If I asked you, hey, stand up and tell me if you care right now, you wouldn't go up. Apathy right here, Pastor. Don't care at all. Let me raise my hand and let everybody know. No. <laughs> we're not doing that. Right? We're going to be silent. <laughs> because what happens is our actions and our own sense of self-importance, they speak clearly for us. And so many times our actions say what we will never say. But you see what happens. And I understand, listen, to the idea of facing our culture and going against the, 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 the current of our current times, yeah. is it scary? Yeah. Hey, man, I do this for a living. This is You guys pay me to do this. But guess what? It's scary for me. I think about it and go, man, oh, man, it's, sometimes it's tough to have conversations. Sometimes it's, it's hard to stand against people that are in opposition to you. Sometimes it's overwhelming to us. And see, right now what happens to us is it becomes really easy for us to sort of pull in, to close ourselves off, to isolate ourselves and work on our walk with God because that's what's important, my walk with God. Right. And what happens is in doing so, we pull ourselves out of the mission that God's given us. And we isolate ourselves. Right now, the way that our culture is as we speak with a pandemic on our world, becoming isolated is easier than ever. How does the devil destroy people? Isolation. We see people being destroyed by the devil every single day. And he wreaks, attacks them in their mind and puts all kinds of circumstances around them to make them feel hopeless. But God is still on the throne. Amen. God knew COVID was going to come. Yeah. He knew it was going to come. And that's why he has us right where we are. In the book of Esther, Mordecai said it is for such a time as this. Amen. He's saying the same thing to us. Yes, I knew this was coming, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and you know, you've got to step outside of yourself and be willing to do things that you would not otherwise do. You've got to be willing to pray like you've never prayed before. Stand on the truth like you've never stood on the truth. Know it like you never have before. Be a soldier for Christ. That's what I've called you to be. So what we're looking at today is we're going to look at these two men. Because you know what happens? Check this out. They're going into the promised land, right? That's what's happening right here. Joshua is preparing to enter a hostile culture to bring them God. And he's not welcome. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And the very first step of that is to find a couple of people that are committed. A couple of people that are committed and willing to risk themselves to go into enemy territory to prepare the way of the Lord. Pretty prophetic, isn't it? And we're going to see it today as we break this thing down. We're going to start this thing off. Chapter 2, man, this thing is all about the spies. And we're going to watch how God works in them, works through them, and works for them in our message today, which is titled Spies Like Us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. God, for giving us this opportunity we can gather, Lord, around just the amazing, incredible, infallible, godly book that you've left us. Thank you, Lord, for the power that it contains, for the wisdom it contains. Lord, for the spirit that dwells within us that helps us to understand and discern it. Lord, I pray that you will have free course in this place today. Lord, help our hearts be open, ready, willing, and able to hear what you have. God, deal with us. Deal with me. If no one else hears anything from this message, Lord, deal with my heart. Help me not to be apathetic. Lord, help me, Lord, to take the challenge. And God, to be the man of God you've called me to be. Help us all, Lord, recognize who it is you've called us to be. And Lord, help us to step into that role. Lord, empower us through this message. Teach us, instruct us, challenge us. And Lord, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. How many of you guys have given out tracks this past week? Anybody? Amen. If you've given out one track this week, raise your hand. How about in the last two weeks you've given out a track? Come on, let's get on it, man. That's something we need to be doing. Hey, listen, if you're going to pay a bill online, you're going to write a check, ain't nothing better than tucking that check into a track, putting it in the envelope, and sending it back. If you're going to mail a check. If you're going to do it anyway, you may do them online, but if you're going to send them, 
hey, at least somebody's got to open that envelope and let's like, put the gospel in there. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Joshua chapter 2. Uh, and it says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, View the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And what we're going to do today is we're going to do something we don't normally do. We're going to do a character study of the four different main characters that we see in this book. We see, first of all, the two spies. Then we're going to see Rahab. And then we're going to see the king of Jericho. So first of all, the spies. Then Rahab. Then the king of Jericho. Starting off with the spies. Now, what's interesting is we don't know a lot about these guys. We don't know their names. It's never listed in Scripture who they are. We don't know any personal details about them whatsoever. But at the same time, God reveals a tremendous amount about these men as we study and look. First, we're going to look at the uniqueness of the spies. The uniqueness of the spies. And it says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So as we look at the uniqueness of these men, what we'll notice is the fact that they're not the first spies to be sent into Canaan, are they? Right? Forty years earlier, there had been a group of spies that were sent in. Now, there were 12 spies that time. And what we noticed, when Joshua was in the charge and Joshua was calling the shots, how many does he send? He sends two, only two. Now, what we see here is when we take in Scripture and we look at examples of where someone sends people out by twos, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right? He sends out His disciples two by two. Luke 10, verses 1 through 3. After these things, the Lord appointed unto seventy also and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place whither, look at this, whither He Himself would come. So these guys are to go in groups of two to places where the Lord is going to come. Do you see the picture God's painting? Even in that, He's pointing into this, into this Scripture. Verse 2, Therefore said He unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. He's compelling those that would be willing to step up for God. Verse 3, Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. I'm sending you into enemy territory. I'm sending you by two that you might prepare the way of the Lord. And the twelve, what happened with them? They were sinning openly. They were supposed to sort of work their way into the culture for 40 days and kind of get a feel for everything. That was what happened. What we know is what happened to these guys is they were corrupted. Twelve went in. Of the twelve, ten were corrupted. And guess how many were not? Two. Weird, huh? Weird. Not a coincidence. How interesting to that. We see that these two spies, they're not supposed to go in openly and integrate with everybody. They're supposed to go under the cloak of secrecy, right? These are like your special forces, you know, covert ops kind of guys, man. They're going in under, under the dark, darkness of night. As opposed to having 40 days to work, they've got three days to work. They've got to be back within a three-day window. And we'll understand in the future why that three days is relevant. And it is very relevant. Next, we look at letter B, the destination of the spies. We first see the uniqueness of the spies, then we see the destination of the spies. Verse 1, it tells them exactly what their target was. Their target was the great walled city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is a pagan stronghold. It is massive and powerful. Remember, these spies were to come from Shittim. If you work it out on a map, Shittim is about 12 miles away from Jericho. So that's about a six-hour journey that they would have taken. And also, just to give you an idea of where we are geographically, the Jordan River is about five miles from Jericho. So they're sitting about seven miles out. And is that right? Math good? Yeah, okay, seven and five. I was about to say, I think that's right. I'm not, y'all know me. I did not do well in math. There's a really good chance that I will give you some wonkified math. That's why I went to math every year of summer school, just so you know a little tidbit about me. <clears throat> but what we find here is this place, Jericho, guess what? It was the jewel of the area. It was, had palm, it had lush, uh, lush palm forests and farmland and, prosper, and a prosperous economy. They had freshwater springs that to this day, if you go to Jericho, those same springs are flowing as we speak. They have incredible resources. They have a, a strong economy and they're well fortified. They are prepared for an attack. 
Listen to the description in Numbers 13, 28. This is from the original spies that went out when they came back. Verse 12, or, uh, Numbers 13, 28 says this. Nevertheless, the people are strong. They dwell on the land. And it says, and the cities are walled and very great. This would have been the first city they came to, one that would have blown them away. And it says, and moreover, that means on top of that, we saw the children of Anak there. We saw giants. Not only do we see these unbelievable cities with these huge walls and a prosperous people and great numbers of them, but we saw giants on top of that. This city is enclosed by massive walls. These walls were so thick, in fact, that homes were built inside the walls. People lived inside of the walls. In fact, Rahab, as we'll find out, Rahab lives in one of the houses that's built inside of the walls of Jericho. And I thought it was interesting as I thought about Jericho and I thought about the relevance of Jericho. And you go, you know, man, I remember Jesus going to Jericho. Now, this is about 1,430 years later. Jesus is showing up in Jericho. And this is an account in Luke 19, verses 1 through 8. And it's interesting as we look at this. It says this, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, and he was to pass, because he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Notice he's in Jericho, and what's he going to do? He's going to go to someone's home. What happens to those two spies? Don't they go into someone's, into someone's home, don't they? Yeah? And listen to this. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. What do people say of Rahab? Yeah. She is an harlot. She is a sinner. In verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. So we see a sinner who is seeking God because he's heard of his great works. And then we watch the gracious love of God extended to this man, which results in his redemption. It is a picture of the saving power of God drawing someone to salvation that took place in Jericho 1,430 years later. And it's only relevant because, you know what, that's kind of what's happening here as we're listening to this study. The tactics. Let's look at the tactics of the spies. We looked at their uniqueness. We looked at their destination. And now we're looking at their tactics. What do they do? Verse 1 tells us this. They're supposed to spy, right? This is Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, okay? So these were secret undercover spies. And we see what is their objective. They were to go, it says here, saying, go view the land, even Jericho. So they're supposed to just observe. They're supposed to observe and report back to them. Then we also see their method of spying, their method of spying. Listen to this. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. They made a relationship with somebody. They met someone, built trust with that person, and that person let them into their home. So we see here they created relationships of trust with the citizenry. And then lastly, we see here when they spied. When they spied. Look at verse number 2. It says this, There came men in hither tonight. This is the report that the, the watchman is telling the king. And what does he say about those two spies? There came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. So these spies came under the, under the darkness of night. They slip in. As I said, this is about a six-hour journey. They would have arrived probably just before, just after dark to slip in before the gates would have been closed. And what's God showing us? What's he picturing in this that we see? So we see men of God leaving the safety of God's people to risk themselves to infiltrate a godless nation in preparation for the coming of the Lord, represented in Joshua, who, guess what, is a picture of Jesus, the coming of the Lord. It sounds like somebody I know. Us, we're supposed to go into this godless nation to reach this world. Did not God compel us to go into the highways and hedges to compel them to come to the Lord? In Luke 14, God shares the parable of the feast, and that's the whole picture that he's given there. Look, I'm telling you, go out and get them. There's a lost world that's seeking me. Go out and get them. Jesus proclaimed this. Then also, God's given us liberty. Right? They're supposed to go infiltrate this society. They're supposed to slip in unnoticed. And God's given us something called liberty. And what happens with liberty? People can abuse liberty. People go, you know what? Hey, man, God said I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. And they'll do things 
making it, and what happens is they'll actually take their liberty and use it as an opportunity to sin. Because, hey, I've got the freedom to do this. God gives us liberty in Christ so that we can infiltrate the communities of the people we live around. Because the Jewish people, they were supposed to be secluded and taken away from everything that had any sinful, anything that was not Jewish. And what happened with Paul was Paul was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to infiltrate this community. Listen to what, first, what Peter says. Peter talking about this principle in 1 Peter 2.16. He says, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Do not use it for your own purposes, but as the servants of God. You have liberty so that you can serve God, not so you can serve yourself. 1 Corinthians 9.22. Paul says it this way. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Amen. Right? That's what he's saying. I've given you liberty so you can be in places that you would not feel comfortable because there's souls that are there that you need to reach. You don't embrace the sin and make it part of your life, but you go there as an emissary, as a spy. You work your way in. Amen. And you make a difference. Tell them of the good news of me. God wants us to infiltrate our culture, not to be corrupted by it like the ten, but to be used by the Lord to prepare the way like the two. There's a picture in there for us. Which are we going to be? The ten or the two? So believers are pictured in the spies. But now let's look at Rahab. Let's look at Rahab. Rahab, first we're going to look at the sin of Rahab. Verse 1 tells us that she was a harlot, a prostitute, right? The lowest of the low. Verse, that verse 1 says this, And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab. It's specific to tell us what her profession was. Understand, Rahab lives in a pagan culture. That's what she's born in. That's what she's raised in. She's ignorant to God's standards. She does not know. And so what we have here is this is a person who's living according to their human reasoning in a culture that is all they know, and they're doing whatever they need to do in order to survive. Does that sound like anybody we can relate to prior to salvation? Yeah. Ain't that us? Yeah. Hey, man, I lived my life just doing what I was going to do. If I felt like I was supposed to do it, I just did it. I wasn't worried about the consequences per se. I just worried about how it affected me, right? We're self-centered. We're full of ourselves. And this thing was, I followed the desires of my heart. And that's what we do when we're lost. But what does the Bible say about following your heart? Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things. Do you hear that description? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So if I'm following my heart, am I going in the right direction? Hell no, 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 no. I am not going, I am not going in the right direction. I'm following my heart, and guess what? It's taken me into the world. It's taken me into sin. And it says, who can know it? Paul's description of us, as we read this, we're going to go in Ephesians 2. As we read this scripture, we think about this. Man, this is sobering. This is humbling because what happens to us when we get saved is we start to become judges of other people. And I know we go, ah, I'm not a judge. No, we are. We do. It just is natural. Amen. We start to look at people inside and we start pointing fingers and going, can you see? Do you see them? Oh, my goodness. Can you believe it? Oh, my word. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. Good. All those faces tell me that I'm not the only one. Right? So we all do that. But we've got to be careful, right? That's why God again and again and again says, hey, you're not a judge. Remember, that's not your job. That's not your job. That's not your job. Your job is to reach out in this community. Listen to this description that Paul gives us in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And listen to the personal part of this. He says, and you. Starts off right off the bat. You. <laughs> Pointing his finger at us. And you hath he quickened. God's brought you to life spiritually. Yeah. You were dead in trespasses and sins. That's where you came from. Amen. We're in times past. We're in times past. You walked according to the course of this world. You followed your heart, didn't you? Yeah. Yep, just like Rahab. What are we doing judging her? According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So we look at the sinful world, man, and we understand when we look at the world and we judge it, remember that that's the place we used to go find our comfort. Yeah. That's the place we used to blend into. Yeah. That used to be our old stomping grounds. That's where I used to hang out, and that was like, oh, I'm with my boys. Loving it. But then all of a sudden, God saves me. And I go hang out with my boys, and I'm like, all of a sudden, I don't feel comfortable anymore. Suddenly, I feel out of place. 
And I have two choices in that situation. I can judge them or I can have compassion upon them. Right. If someone's saved, man, we need not have a judging heart. We need to have a compassionate heart. We see people that are broken. We see people that are lost. Instead of pointing a finger at them and pointing out their sin, and it's okay to recognize sin, not for the sake of, of chastising or, or putting them down, but for the sake of helping them out of it. Amen. Help them to see their sin. Help them to recognize that they're accountable to a God who loves them, who's reaching out to them even now. And so that's our job. So as Paul says this, he's saying, look, remember who you were. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You're just like everybody else. So don't start putting yourself on some kind of high perch thinking you're something special. Remember, you're just one of the crowd. The only difference in you is the fact that God stepped in. Because on your own, you're in deep trouble. So Rahab's sinful life, guess what? It came naturally to her. Because she didn't know anything differently. That's what she knew. So we look at this aspect of this. What's cool about it is we find out that she's not satisfied. Praise the Lord. That life is all she knew, but she was not satisfied with it. She knew there was something else. And that's why she let him in her home. Check this out. We're next going to look at Rahab's willingness to embrace God. Her willingness to embrace God. Verse 1 continues. And they went and came in unto an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. What we see is her loyalty is no longer to the pagan nation that she lives. She has turned her back on that. She's harboring spies from the enemy. She's opened her home, the most vulnerable place she has, and she said, come on in. And what we'll find out as we go further in chapter 2 is that Rahab fears God. She is scared of God's power. She's heard stories, not from her own personal experiences, just from simply just hearsay, just God dealing with the hearts of the people around her. And what we'll see here is the fact that uh, as God's been working, not only in her life, but in the nation as a whole. Because remember, God told us back in, I think it's, in, it's Exodus 23. Remember when God was talking to, to Moses? And he said, I'm going to send my fear. Before you ever get there, you're not even at the border yet the first time. I will already be working in the hearts of the people before you get there. So don't be afraid, Moses. This is all you, man. You got this. Because guess what? I'm working on your behalf. And listen to this, Exodus 23, 27. I will send my fear before thee, and I will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. This is 40 years before. This is 40 years earlier. This is before, as I said, they ever got to the border. And what happens here is when confronted with the truth, what's, what's happening to her is the fact that God, she knows that God's people are going to arrive to establish a nation for the one true God. And Rahab's response Rahab's response is by faith to trust these men that she does not know. To trust what they say by faith. And after laying her reasoning out to them, this is what she says in Joshua verse, chapter 2, verse 13. She said this, and, ye, and, says, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver, uh, deliver our lives from death. Rahab realizes that she's in a life or death situation. She goes, my future is determined based upon the choice that I make right now with these men that tell me they're from God, that the choice that I'm going to make is going to determine where I'm going to go. And what we see here is she's willing to trust these men of God and by extension trust the Lord. And here's this pagan woman who doesn't know anymore. All she knows is she's dissatisfied with where she's at. And there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And here comes an option. And so what God's showing us. So here we have a person living in a sinful culture, living a sinful life, who's impacted by the power of God as he works in their heart. I will send my fear, he said. And in response to their faith, they turn their back on their culture and all they know. Listen to this. This is us placing their life in the hands of God, literally asking him to save them. Listen to what she said. Exodus 2.13. And that ye will save Alive, my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Save us from death. Save us. Do you hear what God's saying? If you're saved today, there was a time when that was your story. Amen. Amen. When you came to the realization, you know what? Hey, I'm not satisfied. 
with the world I'm living in. Uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good with where I am. And I don't have loyalty to this world, and it does not deserve my loyalty anymore. I'm willing to turn my back. And what's going to happen is, you know what? I'm going to stand. I know I'm going to stand accountable to God one day. And a realization, the fear that came upon me, but that realization made me go, you know what? I, I need something. And what is she saying here? She's saying, look, by faith she falls down before the Lord, and she says, you know what? Would you save us? Would you save us from death? And there was a time when you and I, when the realization came to us of who we were, and that we were going to stand before the Lord, Amen. we fell down before Him. We said, Lord, would you have mercy on my soul? And would you save me from death? There's a picture. A picture. So Rahab is a picture of the lost soul. And then last we have the king of Jericho. The king of Jericho. Joshua chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. So the city was on high alert. They're looking for intruders. We see that there are watchmen out watching for who may ever come. And so we see here, this is, now recognize, this is, they have been waiting for 40 years, okay? They've been waiting for 40 years for something to happen here. They didn't dismiss the threat. They stayed vigilant. They stayed vigilant. The king of Jericho has an objective. What we're going to look at, first of all, is the objective of the king. The king's one objective was to keep God's people out of his kingdom. That's all he's concerned with, keeping them out. But understand, they didn't dismiss the threat. This amazingly, what happens is these men, these pagans, they had greater faith in God 40 years earlier than the Israelites did. Consider that. They're still on high alert 40 years later, worried about what's coming, and the Israelites wouldn't even trust God in the moment. And then think about this. If you and I were there, if you were there in Jericho 40 years earlier, and you heard of the coming of the Israelites, and you looked on the border and you're like, holy moly, do you see that? There's millions of folks standing over there. And then, sure enough, we watch them for a few days, 40 days, and then all of a sudden they all just turn around and walk off. Like, well, that was weird. I thought they were coming. Well, there they go. I don't even see them anymore. Strange. And a year goes by. You know, you might a big loud noise comes from the from the west. You're like, oh, 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 oh. maybe it's a, no, no, nothing. Two years goes by. <clears throat> no, still nothing. No, you didn't see. No. Ten years. You see? No, no, just a go. Okay. Twenty years. Thirty years. Thirty years. A whole generation of people's come along. Forty years. Can you imagine if we were in Jericho 40 years? Are we like, oh man, are they coming? We're like, who? The what's the, huh? But no, not this guy. The king of Jericho, he's vigilantly watching. This adversary here, he's watching for who's to come. And I think about this. Our adversary. Guess what? He's vigilant. He doesn't take a break. He's always on course. Let's look at the tactics of this king. Verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they, do, they, for they, for they be come to search out all the country. The king of Jericho is dead set on maintaining the loyalty of his people. He wants to keep them under his thumb. He's going to downgrade the threat and try to build up their confidence in themselves. He's keeping a watchful eye on anyone to pay attention that if the influence of this God or the words of this God might start to show up in their life. And as soon as he sees weakness, what is he going to do? Bring her to me. We need to talk to her right away. We need to address this immediately. And what we see is our enemy does the same thing in our world. When people start to just hmm, search on the internet, who's God? You know what? They can find a whole lot of answers. Garbage. A majority of it is garbage. And what happens is people start to draw. They start to look. And immediately what he's going to try to do is try to discourage them from the truth. Immediately he's going to confront them and try to give them another story. How does he do it? How does Satan work in our world today? People are seeking God. And what does he do? The Bible says that he blinds the minds of the unbeliever. He blinds the minds of the unbeliever. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this, In whom the God of this world, Satan himself, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, 
who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He blinds them so they cannot see the truth. Then what else does he do? How else is he working? He portrays himself as God in false religion. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He appears as God. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers. Do you hear that word? Not his demons. His ministers. His ministers. These people that appear godly. They're kind. They're understanding. They're wonderful neighbors. Trustworthy. They seem like the greatest people in the whole wide world. His ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness. We just know that this is Satan himself transforming his ministers into ministers of righteousness. They appear godly, whose end shall be according to their works. They'll stand before God. They'll face him. But you know what? They're going to twist the truth. They're going to get people to understand they're seeking God, and they're going to give them false religion as an option to draw them away from the truth. The same thing that the King, Jer King of Jericho is doing. What else does happen? In our, how else does God, does Satan work in this world? He twists the Scripture. He twists the Scripture. He takes the Scripture and takes it out of context and turns it and twists it into something that it's not. 2 Peter 3.16 says this, As also, this is Peter speaking about Paul. He's talking about Paul's writings. He says, As also in all his epistles, speaking of Paul, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. He says, Look, dude, I'm, I'm one of the apostles, and I still have a hard time with Paul. He sometimes goes over my head a little bit. Paul was a really educated guy. So Peter's going, Hey, but listen to this, Which they that are unlearned and unstable, those that are not godly, what do they do? The Bible says rest. Rest. W-R-E-S-T is the root word of wrestle. Come on, man. You're doing well. I want the word to say this. We'll twist it. We're going to lean onto it. We're going to put our perspective on it. We're going to turn it from what it's not. As they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Twisting the truth. And then how else does he attack? How else is he working? He preys upon the sin nature of humanity. Boy, we are such easy targets. Listen to this. James 1, 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. People say, the devil made me do it. Mm-mm. Drawn away of his own lusts. We are our worst enemy and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, so I have this lust in my heart, this desire, I'm wanting to do something that's sinful. Lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Next thing you know, I'm in the midst of it. Now I'm doing it. And it says, what? And it says, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Death. That's what the devil wants for people. He wants them to die. A, sin, a sinful person lost without Christ. So the very same way with Jericho, he's trying to maintain control over people. He wants to keep them in a stronghold so they will not see the truth. And that's his whole thing, keeping God out. But, praise God, just like the king of Jericho, Satan can't stop the influence of God from working in the hearts of man. And what he's doing, we saw that he's reaching out into the world, right? He's reaching out ahead of the coming of the Lord, 40 years ahead. He's reaching with his fear. Into the Lord. Notice this, he sends that fear. This is key. Listen to this, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's talking about accountability to God. Accountability to God. We're all accountable to God. Whether we want to admit it or not, it does not matter because guess what? We are every single one of us. And guess what? Lost people know it too. You knew it when you were lost. There was something in you that said, you know what? One day, I know they talk about the judgment seat. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that because there's something that tells them that it's real. And you know what it is? Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. I'm going to read it to you. I'll be quick, I promise, because I see the time. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So they know the truth. But what do they do? They hold it as unrighteousness. They don't want to admit it as the truth. They see it as wrong. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God's placed it in their hearts. It's part of who they are. It's part of their very being. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world, the na nature around us are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, us, 
even as eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Do you hear that? Without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like a corruptible man and to birds and a four-footed beast and creeping things. What that means is people take God, they think of the most holy person they know on the whole earth, and they just imagine God's just a little bit further above them. God is on a different scheme. He's on a different thumb. He's outside of our time. He's outside of our righteousness. He's outside of everything. God is perfect and holy. And what happens is people try to put Him into a box so they can understand Him and say, oh, I think God's like this and God's like that. No, He says, look, He's not like any of those things. It says this, For this cause, for this God, cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, that is ungodly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. They, they get what's due with them. And even as they did not like to retain the God in their knowledge, listen to that, even though it's there, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient outside of God's will, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now he goes through a list and he says, look, you know what? They've sold themselves out to sin and listen to what happens. That open door to sin, what does it do? It takes you into the whole spectrum. All unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. This is the one right here. Listen to this, verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God. Got that? Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. They understand there's a judgment to come. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Not only are they involved in sin, but they will celebrate their friend's sin. Hey, let's do it together. Let's have a parade. Now we read this, and in that understanding of that knowledge, I want us to go back to, to Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And it's this wisdom, this fear of the Lord, that strikes terror in the heart of of our enemy. It's this very thing that strikes fear in the heart of the king of Jericho. For you see, what does it say in 1 John 4, 4? Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right? Here comes God on the scene. So in the spies, we see the believer sent on a clandestine mission into enemy territory to seek and to save that which was lost and prepare for the coming of their Lord. In Rahab, we see the lost person who is dissatisfied with the world around them, experiencing the fear of the Lord as they recognize their accountability to God. And through this, they will open their homes, their lives to God, who can offer them not only their own salvation, but the salvation of their family. And then the king of Jericho, we see Satan and his minions watching diligently for the influence of God in his kingdom as he fortifies his defenses and keeps a watchful eye over his subjects, confronting them with his authority over them with, in whatever method he can to devise to keep the truth away. Guys, and looking at these three verses, right? We see in these three verses, we see the historical application. We see of this successful entry of the spies into Canaan. Wonderful. But then devotional or doctrinally. Doctrinally, what do we see? We doctrinally see this, that every time God has a plan, Satan always has a counter plan. He's always working to stop what God is doing. And then devotionally. Devotionally, we look at this. If you and I are going to influence our world with the gospel, we have to be willing to risk ourselves. We've got to be willing to go into a hostile land. Guys, the culture right now is hostile towards us. Yeah. Right? They don't want us to succeed. God's working in the hearts of people. And they need some representatives to show up and stand for the truth. To reach the Rahabs of the world that are dissatisfied with their sinful life and they're looking for more. And they recognize that they're accountability to God. For you see, God's already working in the land as He calls people unto Himself. John 16, 8 says this, And when He has come, speaking of the Comforter, the Spirit of God, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Right? For you see, 
There are people in this land right now. Guess what? They're seeking God. They're looking. Go look at the results of internet searches. People ask, what's next? Where will I go after I die? Is God real? People are searching, searching, searching. And this pandemic has created isolation for people. They need some spies to work their way into their life in whatever way, shape, or form we can. We must be creative. I guarantee you the spies didn't walk in and go, <laughs> no, they were like, sneaky business, whatever it is. I don't know how you do sneaky. That, that's my impression of sneakiness. I don't know if that was a good impression of sneakiness or not. Probably better to be like this. I don't know. But, but they need a little bit of covert action, right? We need to be working to try to make a difference. These people are tired of the lies this world has offered them that are supposed to satisfy, and they don't. And though the enemy, guess what? He's working to intimidate them. He's working to silence them and silence the truth. But as we know, Satan is no match for God. Amen. Right? Amen. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Yes. You and I are on a mission. Right? The whole point is this. God has, the mission has been assigned. Right? The orders have been given. Will we be like the ten and allow our fears and our doubts to cause us to lose our faith and not accomplish what God called us to do? Or will we be like the two? He said, you know what? Bless God. I'm going. I don't need the support of anybody else. The two of us, we're going. Let's do what God's called us to do. If those two spies were here today, I think they would come alongside us and they would put their arm on our shoulder and they'd go, hey, be spies like us. Be like us. Because listen, God's got a mission. God's got a mission for us. The time is now. If there's ever been a time, it's now. We want to wait. Well, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. Hey, man, we're not promised tomorrow. This week we buried Papa. We buried Mark. We thought they had more time. They didn't. And all of us think we have more time. We don't know when our last day will be here. Amen. Do we want to go out feeling like we missed out? We dropped the ball? Or do you want to go out? Man, if, you, hey, if one of those spies, man, you want, do you want to die because you were hiding on, over on the, on the side looking across there and hiding like this behind a tree? Or would you rather die being in, the promise, being in the promised land where you weren't supposed to be risking yourself for the cause of Christ? Amen. We've got to stop being afraid. Right. Just do what God's asked us to do. And if putting a track in someone's hand scares you to death, hey man, be spies like us and do it. Hey, can I just give you this? It's a little gift from our church. It changed my life. I'd love for you to read it. Thanks. If that's all you do, hey, man, we're taking a step in the right direction. Like I said, man, the time is now. God's called us to go. God's working in the hearts as we speak. question is, will we go? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. God, for giving us, uh, Lord, an amazing truth from just three little verses. Thank you, God, for helping us to see what it is you have for us. And, Lord, the mission that is set for us in this life. And, God, how it is we are supposed to live it. Help us, Lord, not to live this life as the ten, riddled with fear and doubt. Lord, help us be the two that walk by faith and not by sight. God, I thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be in your house. And I do pray, God, that you'll use this message to inspire us, Lord, that we not be apathetic. But, Lord, that we be challenged to be more today when we leave. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what? And I, if you're online, wherever you are. If God spoke to your heart in the message, praise the Lord. You're a Christian and you say, hey, you know what? God's spoken to me. I'm going to step up. I'm going to do more. Praise the Lord. But you know what? I bet there are some out there that say, you know what? I, I don't know the Lord. I know of Him. But I can't say, I mean, you're talking about this salvation moment, this, this understanding that you're accountable to God. Yeah, I got that part, but the, but the peace and the, the love of God, I don't have that. Nineteen years ago, somebody asked me if I died today if I was going to go to heaven, and I said, boy, I sure hope so. But I had no clue how I would get there. And thank God they loved me and cared enough about me to share the truth of the gospel. And that's what God's called us to do. He told me that, you know what? All on my own, the Bible says that I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. The Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We all have the same issue. And what does sin do? It separates us from God because God is holy and we are not. And because of that horrible truth, 
Jesus came and paid the price for the sins of the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He offers the gift of salvation to anybody who's willing to turn their heart to Him. And as He's calling you right now, all He's asking for you to do is respond. You see, when they arrived at Rahab's house, she could have locked the door. But instead, she let them in. And all God's doing, the Bible says He stands at the heart's door, He stands and knocks. And whosoever let Him in, He will sup with them and them with Him. He's knocking on your heart's door. And all you have to do is open it. And He will come in. So their heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray with you. There's no magic to the prayer. It's not a ceremony or anything like that. This is a matter of your heart and God's heart. I can tell you, His heart is connected with yours right now. He's drawing you. You just need to respond and open the heart's door so that He can come in. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. If you're online, you're watching this recorded 20 years from now, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's all about you and Him. And I can promise you, He's with you now. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, I'm going to pray out loud and I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. In your heart, in your mind, or out loud, you choose. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sin. I know that I failed you. I failed myself and I'm sorry. I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me. I'm asking you, Lord, to bear my sin on the cross, to die the death that I could not die, to save my soul. Lord, come into my heart, come into my life, and save me for all of eternity. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.